It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. And I decided once I heard we had a team, we're getting a team. I went to the, the name unveiling now near the Bell Center and I became a season ticket holder that second year. It's always been CFL. First down. Welcome back, everyone, to Third Down Gamble. Pat, glad to have you back on the show. It's uh, been a couple episodes since we've been together, and it's been a long time on this podcast that it's just been the two of us. It, it has been quite a while. It's uh, nice to uh, get back to the way we started. Yeah, um, I was really stoked looking forward to this one. Me too. We're recording on Remembrance Day, which is November 11th, and we're taking some moments here, of course, to... Uh, pause and reflect on the, the service that our uh, military has provided for us and the people that have gallantly given up their their lives for our freedoms. So let's absolutely say a thank you to them. That's uh, It's an important thing to do, to take some time and recognize it, because it's, uh, it's an awful sacrifice that many people made and continue to make for us. So Yes, and uh, we're in- eternally indebted. Moving on from that, uh, we had a massive storm roll through here. We had something on the order of 20 to 30 centimeters of snow, 60K winds, and a lot of mess. <laughs> I've, heard, uh, I've heard some people refer to it as Snowmageddon, right? or maybe it's uh, like Snowvember, maybe possibly too. I think it was worse if you were in the city. Where we are out in this small town, it wasn't as bad for pileups on the streets but i noticed in saskatoon which is the nearest big center to us a lot of people were posting photos of how crazy bad it was including usual guest host heath who had sent me a photo of the buses in saskatoon stuck in their stalls they couldn't get out from downtown you know um, my daughter emily who you've had on the program before uh, she was actually uh, works at a school and uh, the schools were closed for two days, and in Saskatchewan, that's pretty unheard of. Uh, but I just the traffic has ground to a halt in Saskatoon, where I am, down by Regina. Um, certainly, we had nothing like what what they've had, and I, I think there's other areas that are suffering as well across the province of Saskatchewan into Alberta, is what I hear. So, yeah, the further the further west you go, like certainly uh, where my farmland is up by North Battleford area. Uh, they got walloped, and as you go towards Lloydminster and then on to, I was checking with Superfan, Mike, Edmonton got hit hard. So, yeah, uh, that was quite the uh, Colorado low that uh, left its uh, mark on us. Absolutely. My daughter was uh, telling me the story. She couldn't get out of her um, one door because it was snowed shut, but she was able to get out to her front door and, and uh, got out there. And once she got out and dug herself out in that area, she realized by going around to the other side of the condominiums where she's living, there were a number of people that couldn't get out their door, some elderly folks. So she spent the day shoveling, and I'm seeing pictures of people snowmobiling through the city streets, helping people out. And, uh, you know, it's uh, going to take some time, but hopefully things will get back to normal, and we're going to be in a lot of snow, it looks like, for this winter. Yeah, that was the forecast that I had heard. Uh, there's a, a couple of people that I follow on YouTube that provide forecasts, and I think it's direct weather is the one that I like the most, and he really... Uh, put it out there that uh, especially the Canadian prairies are going to get dumped this year and it'll be cold too, which it already has. As we 
record, I think right now the temperature is around minus 15, minus 16, and it had dropped well below minus 20 in the overnight. So for this time of the year, it's a little bit early for those types of temperatures, but it does uh, make you sort of appreciate maybe we're a little bit lucky that we're not going to playoff games right now. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it was Rob Vanstone tweeted out last week that, uh, you know, the potential for the riders to be, if they'd finished second, if we had the season, they'd finished second and hosted. They could have been a potential of up to 50 centimeters coming through. Now, Regina didn't see it in the end, but it would have been ugly trying to have people travel across the province to get to that game, so... Well, that's exactly how I felt about it. When you sent me the the note about it, and it just sort of piqued my interest, and I thought, well, the only way that I could have gotten to the game is if I'd gone ahead of time, say Friday, prior to the storm. That would have been fine. I My wife has a job in Regina. I could stay with her. But then getting home, I don't know how that would have happened because the further north you go, especially uh, if you know Saskatchewan at all, Davidson and north, the roads got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I don't think you would have been traveling on that day. It would have been a lot of people huddling up in Saskatchewan. Huddling up in Regina. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And as we get away from the snow discussion and move to sunny or maybe liquid sunshine Vancouver, lots of stories coming out of B.C., in October. There have been, and into November now too. We have seen the passing of David Braley, one of the most ardent supporters of the CFL that I think you could find anywhere. A man who did more uh, for some teams than I think anyone could expect. And certainly in terms of the Lions, left them in a very good place by willing money to them through his estate to help this team transition to a new ownership. Yeah, there's no doubt he is a fantastic supporter of the CFL. He is uh, the only owner, I think, to actually have owned three teams at a different time. Um, and, and I think that speaks to how much he loved three-down football. You know, love him or hate him, because I know some people found him difficult to work with. He loved the game. He was there to support the game, and uh, I think his legacy will live on. I think his only real failing was he didn't market the teams that he owned very well, and I think that made it tough for anybody following him because they had to sort of go back out and rekindle the interest in the team. He had a, a, a strong belief that the CFL mattered because the CFL existed, and there's nothing wrong with that, but in this day and age, I think he didn't quite understand completely the needs of the marketplace in terms of getting the word out. But beyond that, he paid the bills, he made sure that the franchises were stable, and for that, I don't know how you can think anything but super positive feelings towards him. No, no, and I agree with what you're saying in terms of the negativity. I mean, I guess as a board of governor member uh there were times where he kind of you know again he was supporting the league in his own way but he didn't necessarily go about it the right way in purchasing the toronto organauts and trying to keep that quiet initially right having one owner with two teams some might question whether that should be allowed but at the same point i think he did it because he loves cfl football and he wanted to make sure that the franchises continued and the league continued I think he recused himself well enough when he had both the Lions and the Argonauts, and I never saw any conflict of interest in that process. Uh, You never saw Toronto and BC make it to the Grey Cup. The bottom line was he 
he cared, it mattered, and he was willing to do something about it. And I think that we can all take away is something that we can do in our lives, that if it matters that much, don't just speak to it, do something about it, be for something. Absolutely. And, and I mean, here's a man who not only owned the teams, but he was for something. And, and he's, um, you know, he's in the Canadian Hall of Fame. He's received an order of Canada for his contributions to the CFL, but he's also a philanthropist as well. Um, you know, McMaster, I believe, has a part of their university named after him because he, he gave a, a huge donation to the athletic center there. I believe it was $5 million. Yes, he, he was always very giving. That uh, can't be argued. And now there's a world that has to move on without him. There are eight owners that are left behind, and the BC Lions will get another ownership whether that's a group of people, whether that's a, a single person, it's uh, certainly out there to be uh, vetted and we'll find out soon enough when the Lions are picked up by somebody. It's a franchise that uh, I think is a no-brainer to have in your stable if you want one. And I think that especially with Mike Riley as your quarterback, mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to be very competitive uh, very quickly. So, speaking of Mike Riley, <laughs> ironically, yeah, I, I was going. I was going to say maybe if he stays, but no, no, yeah, definitely, he's hit the news as well, hasn't he? Yes, he's filed a grievance over guaranteed money. This happened on November the 9th. and um, one thing that Farhan Lauji had tweeted out is that the uh, guaranteed money had not been duly registered by him and Hervey, or his agent, I should say, and Hervey. Ed Hervey with the uh, Canadian Football League. So that creates some little gray area in terms of all of this because essentially when you have a player contract, both the player or his representative, in this case the agent, and the team, in this case the general manager, have to file with the CFL so that the documentation, A, is in place, B, that both parties, there is a meeting of the minds, as it were, so that C, there is no confusion in application. And now we're getting to that point where there may be some confusion in application because that contract was not given to the league. No, that's, that's true. And, um, you know, I think further complicating matters is that Ed Hervey has since stepped down as general manager and, and now the owner of the BC Lions, who we just spoke about, David Braley, uh, has passed away. And, and uh, you know, I, it's going to be, interesting to see how that can get resolved. I think it falls on Rick Lawlisher now in the interim to figure this out because administratively he's probably the guy that has to deal with this. And and of course the CFL as well, right? Because I mean uh, the, the contract should have been registered there but they're going to be the ones that are going to have to work with the association to do the grieving grievance part. That's me. true, that's true. But if you're the CFL, I mean you didn't do anything wrong. You you have these protocols in place. You ask both sides to follow them, and that eliminates this confusion at the end of the day. So the CFL, quite rightly, has nothing that they have to apologize about. They no. have to now come in with the CFLPA and figure this out, and it's a question of... Uh, the CFLPA is going to be scratching their heads. Well, what do we do? Yep, they're if if this is the case and this was not put in, then 
what what grounds? I mean, I guess we have a, a signed deal, and and what does that signature mean? Yeah, especially when it, like you said, it hasn't been registered. So I mean, I, I certainly understand where Mike Riley's coming from. If you were under the assumption that you were going to be getting this, you should get it. At the same point, if you haven't followed the protocols, and and who does that fall to? Is that, you know, as you said, is it is it Rick Lawlisher is the Lions president and I guess de facto GM for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, you certainly don't want to take a franchise quarterback like Mike Riley and have him upset at the team either. Right? Oh. If you're coming back to play and that grievance has not been finalized, which I would assume it would be before the season begins. but I would think it's going to be dealt with very quickly. Lawlisher has already indicated that he doesn't want to see this go to a grievance at all. So that tells you where his mindset is. He believes in this quarterback, and why wouldn't you, given how well he plays? If you're counting on that money and you're assuming you have it, it seems to be more of the gentleman's agreement. Right? Since it's not registered, hopefully Lawlisher and, and BC will follow through and, and resolve this quickly as long as you know the CFL and CFLPA are, are in agreement. There doesn't seem to be any language or wording in the collective bargaining agreement that prevents them from guaranteeing that cash to players, so they should be able to follow it through. The Lions, especially, as you indicated earlier, do not want to see their their star quarterback upset at them. So I think clearly that Lalisher is probably going to do what he can to make sure that this gets sorted out in an expedited and yet proper manner as much as can be. Agreed. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Second down. and play along with our CFL trivia. It's trivia time. Pat is back for some trivia. Woohoo! Actually, Don, I'm going to throw a bit of a, a change up at you. Being that it's uh, we, we were talking about Grey Cup Unite, I've got a series of questions that I can ask you this week. Okay. Are you prepared to go? Go for it. This is going to be fun, Don. I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, but I'm, I'm guessing you'll know most of these ones. I'm not sure. Let's give it a try anyway. Don't count on it. Don't count on it. First question. In what year was the first CFL Grey Cup broadcast on TV? Was it A, 1951, B, 1952, C, 1953, or D, 1954? Was this nationally? Broadcast. I would say 52. You are correct. The first year of the Grey Cup... Nationally, it was 54. Yeah. The first Grey Cup was broadcast in 52. The only station to air the game was CBLT in Toronto, which paid $7,500 for the rights by CBC. Wow. Yeah. It's actually a fair amount of money for the day. It is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for question two? Sure. Since 
The Great Cup's inception, Toronto has hosted the Great Cup the most times, with 48 games being held in Toronto. The next two highest teams to host have hosted the Great Cup a total of 26 times. Which two locations are the next two highest to host? Is it A, Ottawa and Hamilton, B, Hamilton and Vancouver, C, Montreal and Hamilton, or D, Vancouver and Montreal? I know Vancouver's in the mix. I'll go with D. D, Vancouver and Montreal? That's not correct. The correct answer was B, Hamilton and BC. Hamilton. Hamilton has hosted the Grey Cups 10 times and Vancouver has hosted 16 times. Yep. I was just thinking with the big O that Montreal had had a few extra, but uh, it's been a Hamilton hasn't hosted that many in the last 30 years, so that's what threw me. Good question. No, yeah. I think you may get this next one. Let's see. In the decade of the 1950s, what was the unofficial nickname for the Grey Cup? Was it A, the Mud Bowl, B, the Big Game, C, the Football Final, or D, the Gridiron Classic? I'll go with D. D, the Gridiron Classic? No, it was actually A, the Mud Bowl. After the 1950 Mud Bowl, it got an unofficial nickname of the Mud Bowl for fans, according to uh, what I was reading. So the game was uh, 1950. Of course, you know the Mud Bowl, Don. Yeah. Which, which Buddy, Tin- Buddy Tinsley. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The game was best known for terrible field conditions. But after they labeled that, the Grey Cup got the unofficial name of the Mud Bowl. Although other years it didn't go there. And in the 1950, when the game was best known for terrible field conditions, one writer noted because the field was like a pig's wallow, what should have been a football classic turned into a slogging show. Just going to the 1950 game, Don, it's actually historic for another reason. Do you know why that 1950 mud bowl was historic outside of the field? Last time a team won three in a row? No, I'm just kidding. It was the last Grey Cup to end with a shutout. Oh. 13-0. Yep. A winning point actually scored in the first quarter with a punt over over someone, I think, the receiver's head. Cool. Let's stick with the 1950s. In the 1950s, Don, the Grey Cup was held in Vancouver two times and in Toronto eight times. During that whole decade, how many times, cumulatively, did Toronto and BC play in the Grey Cup? Between 50 and 59? Between 50 and 59. Was it A, six times? B, ten times? C, four times, or D, two times? I'm thinking two, D. That is the correct answer, two times. Toronto appeared both in 1950 in the aforementioned Mud Bowl, and they appeared again in 1952 when they won again, defeating Edmonton 21-11. So, 500. Meh. (laughs) I'm going to throw a bonus question your way too here, Don. Let's, let's go there. You got 500. So, so you're going to either finish up or down now with this bonus question. Sticking with the Grey Cup, what was the first year the BC Lions appeared in a Grey Cup? Was it A? 1963. Oh, you're good. You got that. I knew you'd probably get that one. There, you finished on the upside. Do you know who they played? 
Hamilton. And? Lost. Score? <sighs> 34-24. Not sure. No. No, that was the next year. They, they actually, it was 21-10. They lost 21-10. But they reappeared in 64, and it was 34-24. And beat the Ticats, yes. I, I know you know these stats. Uh, the 63 game is infamous because of Angie Mosca knocking out Willie Fleming. Yes, that's right. That's right. Do you know how long it would be since uh, the 64 game? How long was it before BC once again appeared in the Grey Cup? Uh, 1985. 1983. Because they lost to yeah. Toronto. That's right. Uh, yeah. Close game. 18-17, if I recall. Yes, and who was the quarterback that threw the winning touchdown for Toronto? Joe Barnes. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, well done, Don. It'll be Trivia Center this week. Yep. Sounds good. Those are good questions. Good fun. Yeah, I thought, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to try stick on the Great Cup theme because we're doing Great Cup Unite, and I knew you'd get that. I, my bowl one just befuddles me. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's what it was known as. A, I think it was an informal nickname, right? That's what they said. After the Mud Bowl, it started to be named the Mud Bowl by people who were watching in the 50s. You ready for yours? I sure am. I don't know if I can hit 500, though. I got to get better in the three, right? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Question one. Who holds the national or Canadian single season record for rushing? Is it A, Normie Kwong, B, Jerry James, C, John Cornish, or D, Andrew Harris. I don't know about the early two, so it could potentially be one of them, but of, of the others, I, I think I'm going to go with C, John Cornish. You chose C? I did. And the correct answer is C, John Cornish. 1,813 yards in 2013. Mm-hmm. They were a powerhouse running team. Question two. This is one of your favorite categories. From 1962 to <laughs> 1966, inclusive, Edmonton. A, won more than 60 games total. B, did not finish above 500 in any of those seasons. C, missed the playoffs every season. D, lost in the Western Conference semifinal every season. My goodness, I don't know. I don't know trivia like you know trivia on these ones. This is strictly a guess. I'm going to go with B. Did not finish above 500 in any of those seasons? Yes, that it's is probably B. wrong. The correct answer is B. Oh, that was a guess. Their best record was 6-9-1, and one, and they made the playoffs that year. Wow, there we go. <laughs> wow, two for two. <laughs> That's, and solely a guess on that one. Question three. Montreal has defeated every Western team it has played in the Grey Cup, except one. A, British Columbia. B, Calgary. C, Edmonton. D, Saskatchewan. I'm going to go with British Columbia. A? A. The correct answer is A, British Columbia. Woohoo! 100%. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened. <laughs> You're one away. <laughs> Alex Tripak would be proud of you. Yep. 
Question four. One player has had more than 10 100-yard rushing games in a single season. He is A, Willie Burden, B, Corey Sheets, C, Charles Roberts, or D, Mike Pringle. You know, before you even finished, I was thinking Pringle, so I'm going to hold it. D, Mike Pringle. Oh, your answer is D, Mike Pringle? Yep. The correct answer is D, Mike Pringle. You did it! (laughs) That is a rarity. Wow! (laughs) The November 11th is just a great day. (laughs) I'm going to mark this one on the wall. (laughs) that, That is a rarer feat. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Third down. It looks like uh, the CFL is getting its name back into uh, the news and having their uh, Grey Cup Unite uh, program coming out. And that'll be pretty much as we drop with this episode, this this will be underway. And as we speak before it comes out, I think it's a great idea to finally start engaging again. Because, of course, as this season wraps up, which would be uh, at the end of this month, then you've got to start looking for 2021. So you may as well start the process of engaging. You do. Um, you know, I, I know we as a family have already got our, our Grey Cup celebration time. The, our kids are coming down. As long as there's no snow, uh, they're going to come down. We're going to celebrate Grey Cup. We, you know, we would have been hosting here in Saskatchewan. So it would have been an opportunity for all of us to be there. Um, but that's not going to happen. But I am excited that the CFL is moving forward with uh, Grey Cup Unite. I think it's a it's a great way to Put the league back out there, get it on the radar, you know, get people hopefully excited and hopefully we can move ahead in 2021. Kind of curious, like uh, we're going to have a fan state of the league, which the commissioner is going to be responding to, to questions, which is is great. There's certainly uh, that interaction, but I'm more curious about the coaches because of all the people that have been affected by this, we haven't heard very much from the coaching staffs of these different nine teams and how this whole situation has impacted them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, the plan is that the nine coaches are going to be broken into pods of three and they'll have an opportunity to meet with media and have some questions there. And it will be interesting to see exactly what they've done with their time. You know, how are they moving forward? What are they doing to prepare? Of course, they, they were impacted by cuts in many cases too. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what do you do in a pandemic? I mean, no one's been through it as a head coach of a football team when the league may go and then did chose not to go. Um, and, and now you're preparing for next year with an uncertain future once again. Yeah, I was sort of looking through notes and it was March the 12th that the CFL first announced that combines were going to be delayed. And you think back to what has happened between that date and this date and how much 
we went through trying to guesstimate what could happen here, what could happen there. And then ultimately our speculation went all for naught because there was no season, there was no hub, there were no other protocols that we're going to have to worry about because there just were no games. Oh, and I think, uh, you know, once again, we're going to be on the outside uh, guessing about that. But maybe this, uh, you know, the State of the League, the opportunity to um, do the the head coaches conference is going to give the average fan a little bit of an insight into what the CFL has been doing and what they're going to be doing as they look ahead to future where they're going to be able to play. To me, this this whole CFL Unite, um, Great Cup Unite, is a great opportunity to do that. What else are you looking forward to, Don? I'll just speak real quick. I know we were missing the CFL awards um, because, of course, no, no games were played. But this all-decade team that they're looking from 2010 to 2020, I think that's going to be kind of exciting. I mean, you could certainly do lots of speculation on that, too. I voted on each step of the process, whether it was quarterbacks, linebackers. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of fun doing it because there were times when... You looked at the, the people that were up for nomination and, okay, that career span 2005 to 2012, do they really count? Like, how do you, how do you put them, Anthony Calvillo, for instance, in the 2010 to 2020 era? Because most of his accomplishments happened just prior to that. He did have a couple after, but it, his career... It, sort of ended very early in the 2010s. Yeah, it makes for some good debate, doesn't it? Uh, you know, and when you when you have to hold within a decade, you're right, there's a number of players who start mid-decade and may have their seminal years prior to coming into the, the last decade. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the votes are and, and how that ends up. To me, it's the it's the Mike Riley versus Bo Levy Mitchell debate. Which one of those two gets out on top? Mitchell has been to more Grey Cups, but he's lost a few more. Riley has made the one. Uh, so Riley has won. Yep, yep. Stats-wise, they're close. They are. I mean, uh, do you, What do you weigh it on? Like accomplishments in the Grey Cup game? Or do you look at regular season and say, this is where we draw the well, line? The, the neat thing is it's going to be fan votes. So there's always going to be the opportunity to have, uh, you know, say, I, I, don't, I don't believe that's the right choice. Or, you know, it should have been the other individual. But, but, but for me, I mean, I, I look at Bo Levi's winning percentage across the time. And to me... That that's who I would choose. Although Riley has been there, I think Riley's done very well and would be be a fine choice as well. But for my my preference, of course, would be moving to Bo Levi. The Stampeders to me were always stocked. Like they were always, they had multitudes of receivers. They had a great offensive line. See, so, yeah, and I guess I would I would say as an organization, yes, I, I'd say Calgary was. You know, if you're going to pick the organization of that decade, then certainly Calgary fits there. But at the same point, I do think Edmonton's offense was often stacked. You had some outstanding receivers and good solid running backs that were able to work around there, and 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 their line were you know their veteran core of uh, line as well. So I. I I mean, I I don't see much variance in terms of the players. It's just that Calgary maybe had more depth to to keep moving. But Edmonton seemed to build from within and, and did very well offensively during that time. Yes, the infamous Chris Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He blazed a trail through this league. He did. Will he be back? Well, I mean, you, you wonder if coaches will be moving on. I mean, that might be interesting to see in that conference if they're asking, you know, are they are they going to be taking a look at other opportunities in some of these leagues that are moving forward, whether it be that the NFL or some of the college teams? I'd be very surprised. I would be very surprised. There's a, there's a notion out there that 
seems to permeate that there are jobs everywhere, right? And all you have to do is just go out and knock on a door and suddenly your name is in the mix. And I don't buy that because so much of the NFL and college is who you know. Absolutely. And so I don't think those opportunities are as wide open as people sort of like to conjecture. Well, I think people are always trying to keep those connections going. I mean, when they go to coaches' symposiums and that, that's the opportunity to talk to people and get to know people. And uh, you want to have someone you can work with. So I, I would agree with what you're saying in that I think opportunities are somewhat limited in based on who you know. But I think many of these coaches do know a lot of people. I think the other thing that would limit it this year is you know, other leagues aren't necessarily cemented to, to go forward either. Be that, you know, take a look at the CIS, didn't didn't go this year. You know, you have some of the college football teams and leagues that haven't run this year. Um, and, and the NFL has had challenges itself with, with the COVID situation. Yeah, well, as we're recording, Mississippi State, I believe it is, has had a number of players test positive. It's a real, real tough landscape to navigate, and they took their chance. The big question about baseball was they're going to get started. Will they get finished? Well, they made it. Yeah. They're the one that went from start to finish in this whole process. Yep. NFL now is next up on the docket. The NHL is talking about starting in January. Yeah. I mean, certainly from a fan point of view, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that the CFL will, will be able to move forward next year. And the coaches, of course, they're going to do the best. They're employed at this point in time. They're going to be looking towards next year. Uh, it's going to be interesting having two full years. You wonder if, if there'll be some major changes coming through, right? Are there going to be some some of the, um, not head coaches, but the positional coaches taking different positions and or reinventing what they've done? They've had a lot of time to sit and reflect, much more than normal. So it, it could be interesting when the CFL does get going once again. There could be some great nuances thrown into the game, different formations, because the guys have had a lot of time to think, as you as you indicate. I'm I'm looking forward to 2021. I have no doubt that there's going to be CFL football in 2021. I, I I wasn't sure about 2020. I think the CFL did the right thing. I I just don't think they could have uh, performed without any sort of revenue stream. Mm-hmm. The the discussion right now is that Pfizer's vaccine is getting close there's another one in england that's getting close suddenly we're seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel like that that we could be coming out the other side it's just a question of when absolutely i I mean even if a vaccine is generated it's going to take some time to work through the population so uh will that happen in time for the 2021 season i'm i would be doubtful at this point let's consider this let's say that it happens at the end of quarter one so the end of the third month of 2021 that the vaccine is out and it takes six months to roll through the Canadian population for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just for sake of argument, that still gets you to the second half of the CFL season. Everybody's in the stadium. So you could start with empty stadiums and then morph into full stadiums as the season comes to fruition. I'm I'm sure hoping that is the case, Don. Well, that's that's my speculation. I'll stick to it. <laughs> okay, I'm on, I'm in with you. That would be great. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast audio worth watching.
seven years, every Grey Cup moment has included you, the fan. This is your league. Through fog and rain, in tragedy and triumph, you are the foundation of this league. Now take your place in history. Etch your name on the Grey Cup fan base. Become a part of the Grey Cup's legacy. Add your name and raise the cup.